Welcome to the Giving Black podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Agency Inc. and the Avast Foundation. Agency is an international B Corp certified consulting company offering intelligent philanthropic solutions to socially and environmentally conscious organizations around the world. The Avast Foundation works in partnership with people and communities to knock down barriers to digital freedom and equity. Programs deliver meaningful change and help shape a world where technology plays a positive role in building and sustaining communities. Hello, Giving Black family. Welcome to episode six of the Giving Black podcast. Uh, Today, we are going to have two guests join me. Uh, I always say at the beginning of every discussion that this is going to be a really special discussion. And believe me, this is going to be a really special discussion. Uh, I'm your host, Olamidea Kerewusi. And uh, before any further ado, I want to introduce you to my guests. And so over to you, please, Sister Matoli. Thank you, Mire. So really glad to be here and to be part of this discussion. You know, I always love being with the two of you. My name is Madani Karyoki, and I've been in uh, the fundraising sector for the last 15 years. And I have been privileged to be on this journey in fundraising with uh, Mire and uh, Nika. And it's been great um, being in sisterhood and brotherhood with the both of you because we've been able to, you know, go through um, this journey of fundraising in in a space that often excludes us and and having community with both of you has been really um, inspiring and has helped me grow as a fundraiser. So really glad to be here. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. And we're also joined by uh, Sister Neka. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Mide. And so good to be with you both too. This is a treat and a delight on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning. My name is Anika Allen, and I am a relationship builder, a stone catcher, a freedom fighter, a professional coach, and a storyteller. And I've been in the charitable sector as a professional fundraiser for 24 years. And the most pleasurable part of the work I do is being in community, being in community with people like Midei, So I echo my sister's remarks, and I'm excited for this conversation. Oh, me too. Welcome to the both of you. I tell you, I am really excited. Um, Episode six, today's podcast is entitled Boards and Black Tokenism, what it really means to belong as a volunteer. We're going to be touching on some very sensitive yet honest and raw truths about black people and how we volunteer our time and what happens when we volunteer our time in mainstream organizations. But before we get into the conversation, I'm going to ask Sister Necker to share with you what I would call one of the most profound stories that I have read about a personalized experience as a black woman on a majority white board. Sister Nika, take us through an excerpt from your story, please. Thank you, Mide. So I'm gonna read from the prologue. 
This struggle lasted two years. It was painful and exhausting. The violence perpetrated against my humanity was wounding. The curation of indignities designed to force my submission, sickening. Despite the wounds, I was steadfast in my conviction. I refused to be threatened, pressured, or degraded into conforming. It didn't matter that I was outnumbered by many white, black, and brown board members who chose the side of white power. I had to use my power, my small p power, to demand change. I was tired of my professional membership organization cultivating a culture of white elitism and exclusion. The association and its board were well known as cliquish, unkind, closed, and very white. They were and still are the largest professional association of its kind in the world, and they have money and power, so few people challenge them. And that's why I declined joining the board when I was originally approached by their outgoing board president, a brown man who had invested a tremendous amount of energy and time trying to make the association more relevant and representative. He was intent on diversifying the board before the end of his term. After multiple phone calls with him and a black male director, I acquiesced. They had convinced me that my voice was needed at their board table. That was the spring of 2017. Fast forward two and a half years and I was resigning. Just as most of my fellow board members were being granted committee chair positions, you see, power had been wielded against me for the last time. My exclusion had been persistent, and to escape further physical and psychological trauma and humiliation, resignation was my only healthy option. The board had secured their goal in the face of my opposition. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is an excerpt from your story, your lecture, and a story that... Uh, is going to be made public for others to read and share called Them and Us. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for sharing because I know that within that story, you go to great lengths to share your personal pain and experience uh, in your search for belonging to a board that you were invited to join. I'll share a little bit of uh, my story as to how I came on this board I was encouraged a couple of years prior to being appointed on the board to apply by a board chair, white female board chair. And so I, prior to that, I had played a role as a volunteer, but not on the board. And so I put my submission to become a board member in upon her invitation. And a few months later, I got a rejection letter a rejection email, shall I say. And I thought that that was one of the strangest things ever because actually the board chair had reached out to me to invite me to apply and the board chair two months later was telling me that my application was unsuccessful. And her reason was that she felt that there were more experienced people than I and so gave me that kind of uh, bad news <laughs> by email. Uh, and nothing more, uh, though I did seek to have 
more of a conversation. But moving on, a couple of years later, a good friend uh, who happened to be board chair at the time asked me to apply again, and I said no. Uh, And I explained to him why I would not apply, and he promised me that this time round, because he was now chair, that there would be a different outcome. And so I did apply a second time and uh, joined the board uh, on that second go. I know we all have unique stories as to how we came to this board, and uh, Sister Matoli, I wonder if you would share your experience of how uh, you came to the board as well. You know, what's interesting, Mide, when you were sharing that, I remember you and I talking about um, your initial application to the to this board. And I remember, in fact, their process was you could endorse somebody, right? Because um, I, at the time when you when you were applying, I remember submitting an, an endorsement for you because I had been serving on several committees, and um, and I'll just mentioned to you my journey in in terms of uh, eventually getting onto the board. But I remember you and I having this conversation. And I remember even um, when you got that rejection email and I thought, you know, this is, this is nuts (laughs) because at the, at that point they were looking to um, diversify the board. And I'm thinking the one black man (laughs) that I know in fundraising is being rejected on the board. And at that time, I remember, I think you were working at the YMCA and I thought, you know, how can this be? You know, this is this is nonsense, you know, for a board to be claiming that, you know, they want to diversify and then they reject the one person who's so qualified. And I think probably you're the only black man who's actually ever sat on this board. So I remember that very clearly as you share your story. And, and I remember being very disappointed. And I thought, well, oh my gosh, well, if Mide is being rejected, <laughs> I have no hope. <laughs> I have no hope mm-hmm. on getting on this board. <laughs> And sure enough, even when at the time when the president, who was the first sort of racialized person sitting on that board, also encouraged me to apply. And I remember um, applying and being rejected. And so um, and I was told, you know, you need to first serve on committees, you know, before you can actually get to that table. And I had served on several committees and, and had tried putting my application through and being rejected. Right. So this idea of wanting to, for me, you know, this idea of wanting this board wanting to diversify itself was just felt like lip service because hearing your story and trying to get onto the board and then mine, and I thought, you know, what is it that they're looking for? What is it that they want? We, you know, and so I didn't have the same desire, you know, and it's only once you actually got onto the board, I decided, you know, I wanted, you know, to actually sit at that table and and contribute um, in actually moving things forward around EDI because I felt at that point I had served on so many committees and seen uh, the way things were happening um, on that board. Um, I thought, let me at least sit on that highest table and join my brother to see if we can actually effect change. Yeah, highest table indeed. I mean, it certainly had that um, that feel and aura of prestige once one arrived at that board table. 
it, it, it felt as though uh, really you had uh, been authenticated as a genuine fundraiser and were now part of the club. And uh, Sister Necker, I know you had a slightly different experience to join the board. Uh, if I'm, if my memory serves me right, you you started off with a rejection. You you actually rejected joining the board, which is different to uh, to me and Matoni. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I did. I can remember getting the phone call from the then president, who I believe is the same person who invited you back the second time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I was really very straightforward in saying I really don't think that's a space I want to be in. You know, based on everything that I had experienced to that point in relationship to the volunteering I was doing for them, um, the mentorship program, the conference, you know, it just every time I was proximate to um, those board members or to that body, it was just repeated uh, messages of um, rejection because the only invitation there was to was to assimilate and that just fundamentally didn't didn't sit with me right and so so i said no and and um he wanted me to think about it and talk to people about it so the black director i referred to in the reading is you Midday. and it was because of our conversation and because you were already at the board and your your word that my voice at that table was necessary. That's what moved me. Yeah, yeah. Listen, they say every cloud has a silver lining. And if there is a silver lining, it is the fact that the first time I ever met you, Sister Necker, was in relation to a discussion about joining the board. And uh, though I know all three of us uh, uh, were doing great work in the world of fundraising here, in Toronto, uh, our paths, mine and yours, had not uh, yet crossed. And so despite the story we are going to tell, for me, there's a kind of tremendous redemptive story that I hold personally in that it actually introduced me to you and you to me. So let's get into this thing around, like, what was it like to be around the board table? So here we are, all three of us sharing Uh, time and space on the board table of this association and serving together. What was the experience like for you? Well, I can remember the the first orientation meeting. It was an offsite. So do you remember that meeting? Um, And we sat, of course, we sat together and we sat with the then president of the board, who was in fact the only welcoming person. And I can remember there's, it's so interesting, the images that are sometimes emblazoned in your memory. I can remember going up to get refreshments uh, at the table and um, there was a group of women that were sitting on the board, one of them being the incoming board president. And um, I said, hello, of course. Now I'm the new person, right? And um where I come from, the expectation is when new people are around, right? And they say hello, that you you show some interest, some curiosity. And I, it was quite the opposite. It was the once over, you know, the thing that women love to do to other women, right? Check them out up and down, right? Uh, a, a cold and callous hello that would signal to me 
yeah, you're here, but you really don't belong here, right? And so I that sits with me squarely as the first indication that my presence wasn't truly welcome at the board. Yeah, so, I mean, that... There was a million other examples of how that expressed itself over the the subsequent two and a half years. But that was, the, you know, that first point where I realized, okay. I agree with you because I remember it very well. And it was actually a belief. It was at, at then Ryerson. It was out, off-site. And, you know, I'm reading Viola Davis's book and she talks about, you know, um, colorism is like the main theme in her book. And she she talks about... If you're a dark-skinned girl, no one really sees you. And often you're, you know, you, you know, we're invis- we're we're not visible. And yet we're the darkest people in the room. And that's how when she describes that in, in her book and, and just her whole journey, her whole career has been, you know, fighting that and it's and it's caused her a lot of pain. Um, but she's had to deal with it. And of course, writing the book has been very cathartic for her and helping her deal with that. And I feel like that was, you know, even at that starting point that you mentioned, Anika, at the orientation where you want to be welcomed, you know, and received well, it already started off not well. And then I thought, oh my goodness, you know, here we go again. And the whole experience for me serving on that board has been that anytime we would meet and gather for board meetings, you walk into the space and right away, you know, I always felt not seen. And even when we're discussing, we're sharing, you know, your voice is not being heard really, you know, people, whether it's people interrupting or people, you know, often, you know, with their looks and body language, very dismissive. That's been my experience. And it's it, and it wasn't one, it wasn't uh, absolutely a bad, you know, for me, always feeling like that as I stepped into that space every time, it always made me feel constantly, even when I'm in those meetings and in that spaces that I'm fighting to just get out. I just want to flee the space because you're just tired of, of that feeling all the time as you enter the space each time. It's the distinction of being tolerated versus being accepted, invited, welcomed. I always had the sense of being tolerated and not necessarily welcomed. And so the way that it worked for me is that uh, I came onto the board having worked with the board chair at the time on a social innovation project that he and I were kind of developing on the side. I remember we would meet at Starbucks at like 7.30 in the morning to just talk about this social innovation, which was to capture philanthropic stories from all over the world and create a digital platform for others to access those stories. And so we brought the idea to the board And uh, we already had what I would call a minimal viable product. In other words, we had uh, kind of sketched out how this thing would work and had already begun to capture a few stories. So we bring this idea to the board 
And so I start off on this committee of innovation, and then I realized that actually I'd been juniorized because now I was reporting to the head of a committee. And I thought that that was really strange because this was the concept that I had co-created, but I now had to um, report to a female white board member on the idea that I had conceived that I thought that that was really strange. Why didn't they make me a committee chair? Um, but, but beyond that, it then even got even more, even more bizarre because practically every board meeting, I was required to submit a new revised strategy for this social innovation. And I remember it was a bit like, uh, uh, Kafka model, I was just repeating over and over and over again through various strategies what this social innovation was, but I couldn't get approval. And it took months and several strategies before this idea could actually gain legs and be supported by the board. And I really felt that had I been a white man, this idea would have been accepted at the very first launching of the very first report. It would have been validated and it would have been widely supported. But because I was a black man presenting a socially innovative idea, I felt that there was tremendous distrust, uh, both of me and of the idea that I had brought to the board. So, here we are then, the three of us on the board, having this intuitive sense that though we occupy space around the table, we certainly do not belong. Sisseneker, in your story, you chronicle um, your experiences, and I love the fact that uh, you give titles to each of the um, participants, let's say, characters, you, you form characters in your story. And for our listeners' benefit, I know and highly encourage you to please access uh, this story. We will share details as to how you can. But to just give you an idea of what we're talking about, we have the president, who is a character. We have the character of the old president, the character of the new president. We have the undercover director, we have the brother director, a.k.a. me. We have the sister director, whom I'm assuming is you, Sister Matoni. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. We have the ally director and this curious person, which I know many of our listeners can identify with, the sellout director. And then uh, a ninth uh, uh, protagonist, uh, you, Sister Nika. So this is the story of how nine board members relate to each other at a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. And I want to invite you to share with us, in your own words, what happened. Mm. Well, let me begin by saying, listening to both of you talk about your experience at the board, it just really comes into focus for me that the other experience we had together was one of mediocrity, hmm. white mediocrity. Like every excellent idea that came before us as a board struggled to live. Yeah. 
that is sort of really coming up fresh for me now as I'm listening to your stories, stories that I knew before, but just right now in this space. And so I wanted to name that. I think that's also an experience that we had on a number of fronts. Um, and I think the story you told me today really pinpoints that. I think the reality is we have, but we all know I don't, we don't have enough time to tell the whole story, as you said. But I think the one element of the story that I think is really important for folks to understand is sort of the backdrop, the motivating force for all of the anti-Black racist behavior that I experienced and that we experienced. And that began shortly after I joined the board, only a few months. As I mentioned, you know, I was involved in um, a mentorship program that was related to the board and the a young woman a young black woman that I was mentoring was in fact working inside the organization that the new president was the CEO of an international development organization and she was uh, a new fundraiser inside this organization and this was in fact her third organization within a year that she found herself in and yet again she was being confronted with severe racist behavior by her manager and some of her colleagues. And so because I was her mentor, because I was sitting on this board with her and I was proximate to the new president, the incoming president, I felt it was my duty and responsibility to make her aware of what was happening inside her organization And so I did that, and I did that in writing. And it's interesting to me because in an age where diversity is in the air, right, these notions of racial equity, rather than opening her ears so she could hear what I was saying was the experience of one of her staff, she just raised an immediate defense and became disdainful towards me. And because I didn't cower in the face of her defensiveness, she began to deflect her responsibility to the old president, which created, you know, a real challenge for us, which I'm glad we eventually overcame, but it was very difficult when it was happening. And you know, that that deflecting of responsibility, white people deflecting their responsibility to another person of color to deal with another person of color on issues of race, like that is a white supremacist tactic. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the old president's responsibility to resolve this. It was the new president's responsibility to, to confront the reality that she was being faced with. But instead of doing that, she just blamed me. And so that, it's everything flowed from there. And I believe it's at that point that she decided she did not want me on the board. And the number one goal was to find a way to get me off the board. And she employed many, many tactics that culminated in the final tactic in September 2019 at the board table. And I think we'll probably get into that a little later. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing. 
system attorney while this is going on um, around the board table. I know you were also experiencing some actions towards you that questioned whether or not you belonged on this board table despite being invited. So tell us what your experience was. Um, so once we joined the board and, you know, we started, I, I think it was, began even in the process shortly after the process of a strategic plan for um, the organization. And I remember, you know, at that point too, they were forming the various committees. And so um, I was tapped by then the president that uh, our previous president to if I would be interested in in chairing the the ED the idea committee and that the previous chair of that committee initially I was told that I could you know that she would be sort of the sounding board because she had already been involved in the committee and so you know she was now going to be you know stepping down from her from that role and and that um they asked me if I would want to, you know, to chair that committee, but working, you know, with her to sort of like, I guess, the handoff and onboarding a little bit. Uh, but then later it became, you know, I was told that she was going to co-chair with me. And right away I knew, you know, obviously um, I'm not being trusted to lead this work because none of the other, all the other committee, board committees on had a chair and not a, a co-chair with them. And so that for me was already a sign that, um, you know, I'm being scrutinized, I'm being treated differently, I'm being asked to lead something, but really you can't really lead it on your own because, you know, you have to have somebody else there, white, to lead this with you. So already that in itself made me feel, you know, really I I don't really belong on this board because I'm not being seen as, that I can do the work like the rest of the board members. Um, and then ultimately, you know, as you know, because both of you were, um, as we started forming and recruiting for the idea committee, um, that also became, you know, uh, problematic for, for the president at the time. And and the, well, I would say the president and, and, and the other, uh, I guess, a vice president or president-elect at the time, you know, they felt that at one point in our, when we had most of our members on the idea committee, the incoming president uh, elect questioned, in fact, uh, the members of that committee that we, at one point, I think she even said that we're not diversified enough and that there's too many black people or people of color on this board. And I said, wow, that's a first. Because usually as Black folks, we're always sitting on committees that where we're the only ones. And now it's interesting to hear a white person say that about our committee. So it just felt like in every turn, in every process that we were moving forward with this idea committee, it just felt like it was being, there were barriers, there were, were being hindered, we were being questioned. And that whole process for me just continued to emphasize for me, you know, that I, I don't belong. I don't, this isn't the place for me. And here we were, we were all been invited to come and do this work, but it felt like moving an iceberg and just, it felt 
so um, exhausting because it just felt like we were fighting every step of the way, you know, to do this work. Do you remember some of the staff telling us that it was our committee, the idea committee, that was one of the hardest working committees of the board? Yeah. All of our work was... You know, because they were encouraging us. And I think that's actually what kept me motivated, you know, and they're saying that our work and, you know, we would, our, we would be the first committee to kind of, you know, when it came to deadlines of, you know, when we had to, you know, submit, you know, uh, our work plans, you know, we were, we were doing it well. We were, we would, because we were excited about the work. We wanted to do this work. And so uh, absolutely we were, we were committed and we wanted, um, you know, to ensure that, um, you know, at the board table, our work was going to be prioritized and that we were it, we were going to talk about it and move these ideas forward. So, and I'm glad the other staff that saw that, you know, they saw that and they, we didn't, we, we didn't ask for, you know, the, those comments. They, they, because they, they saw in the way that we were working, they wanted to just let us know that. And I, it was really encouraging. So here we are, three directors in white space. Each of us uh, have been invited in one way or another to join this extremely hierarchical organization. I think so far, if there's anything our listeners could also gain from this with the mix of presidents, vice presidents, former presidents, and and all the other kind of like, you know, hierarchies that, that one would envisage in a, in a very stiff organization. Uh, uh, th- this exemplifies it. It was highly hierarchical. Uh, Sister Mecca, you talk about uh, in your story that we are in a system of racism that places white people at the top and black people at the bottom. We are invited in as peers, but quickly relegated to... I would say servants, uh, and and not afforded the respect for our competencies, the skills, the background, uh, our achievements that we would expect. Another curious thing happened during the transition of the chair to the new chair. The new chair now says she wants to meet all the board members in person. So she sets up meetings, and uh, of course, as a board member, uh, I get uh, my meeting invite. So I attend the meeting, I'm in the meeting room, and it's her and the former chair, and the former chair is about to exit because she's just had a meeting with him, and she and I need to have a one-on-one meeting. So here I am, a black man, and she, a white woman, Uh, leading an international, one of the world's largest international development organizations. I've got to throw that in there. And she asks the former chair, who is a brown man, to stay in the meeting, implying that she did not want to be left alone in the room with me, a black man. And these were supposed to be one-on-one confidential meetings. And at that moment in time, so many things went through my mind. I was so confused. And I was thinking, 
could she be asking him to stay in this room because she fears being in the room alone with me? And what might I have done or said or intimated that would cause her to be unsafe around me? So this is also the impact of racism on black people. It forces us to second guess the situations that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember thinking this really is odd. And this is important context for where we're about to go now. Months later, there's obvious friction now because the three of us are feeling the tension of being black people on this very white board. And that friction begins to play out around the conversations on the board table. And it leads to conflict. And Sister Nika, I would like you, please, to just explain as briefly as you can the nature of the conflict as you saw it from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that brings us to the last board meeting that I attended, which was September 2019. And ultimately, what the new president had done was unilaterally changed the travel policy and changed it such that it would only affect me. So I think it's important for the listeners to know I lived at that time in London, Ontario. Uh, when I was recruited to the board and I had no intention on leaving and I was asked to come under those circumstances and my travel to board meetings that were required in person were, were reimbursed. So this was a practice that had been happening for quite a long time. And so in advance of the meeting, uh, this September meeting, the new board president included in the board package, an update to the policy. And for those who were unaware of the fact that it would impact me, it would seem kind of innocuous, this update. And so when presented at the board table, it forced me into a position of being silenced and watching the policy change and then only impacting me or speaking up, and I chose to speak up and challenge what was happening and to make known to the board that, in fact, the policy was designed to harm me, to harm my ability to participate at the board table. And so after that meeting, of course, I was deeply disturbed by that meeting and physically impacted as a result of having to speak up Uh, on my own in a space where, as you know, there were new board members joining, had no previous knowledge of any of this. It was like highly embarrassing and humiliating. And so I wrote an email uh, to the entire board about what I believe transpired and the motivations uh, that the new president had. And from there, as you know, a number of communications began to, you know, swirl back and forth. And ultimately, we began to call for, Midei, I believe you stepped in with your voice and called for mediation. That's right. That's right. It seemed the only way at the time that as a board, as a complete board, that we could take responsibility of the situation that was affecting us. 
it was clear that uh, we needed a third party to arbitrate some of these issues. And I was both amazed and so disappointed that the board did not pursue an opportunity to reconcile our differences. It is as though they had their heads in the sand. It is as though they did not want to face the issue of racial inequity, which was clear for anybody with a thinking mind who happened to be on the board. And not only that, uh, when I met with the new board chair to appeal to her personally, apart from her crying, uh, uh, (laughs) physical tears, uh, that she had felt wronged and uh, kind of stigmatized and uh, uh, felt that... uh, you know, the accusation of uh, racism uh, was inappropriately levied towards her and any feelings of such were totally kind of uh, misplaced. She then goes on to tell me the night before a board meeting that she had rallied half of the board members to put in place a motion for an ultimatum. Either she and half the board members would quit or, Sister Necker, you would have to quit the board. That is what she told me. And I couldn't believe it. I felt as though I was in some kind of like dystopian movie. That there were these conversations about black people happening in private Conversations about fellow board members happening in private, a conspiracy is what we would appropriately label it, to eject a black woman from the board. And when she told me that, I just <laughs> I just remember pausing and thinking, how could these conversations be going on without me knowing about them? <laughs> I was like, oh, so you all are having conversations and I know nothing about these conversations. And not only that, but the content of the conversation is so offensive that you have no shame, even when you share with me the fact that you have conspired to eject a black woman whom the organization invited to join the board. So here I am now, inadvertently playing the role of mitigator. And I remember the three of us having a conversation that night, the phone call, as I might call it. So, Sister Matoni, I wonder if you can share with us uh, and our listeners your experience and memory of the phone call. Yeah, the, the phone call. Yeah, I was like you, I was disappointed, disgusted that that was the process and that there, it was clear that there was no desire to actually deal with the conflict that we were facing at that board table. And it just continued for me to emphasize, you know, like you were saying, Bidei, a lot of conversations were taking place, you know, outside of the board table. And often a lot of decision-making was done outside of that board table. And so 
uh, most of us would come to the board, you know, hoping that you know this board functions like every other board that you know, where votes would and processes and discussions like that happen at the board table where everyone can contribute and not a, a few people having that much control and and then making those decisions and then bringing it to the board. And then no one, you know, oftentimes, you know, we would be, when certain decisions would be made, I remember even Anika, we'd sometimes we'd look at each other, we look side to side and we're like, what, what is, what? <laughs> why, why isn't anyone saying anything, you know, to this? Um, I remember like when the it, president-elect was chosen, even in her position, we, we felt that how could that happen without the rest of the board actually being involved in it? And not, you know, coming to the board table as an, as an announcement that, you know, she's going to be the new president-elect. Boards don't work like this. And so this was the journey for two years, just watching this. And I mean, in fact, recently I, I met one of the white, white former board member that we served with during this time that we were going through all of this. And she mentioned to me that when we were talking about, you know, where we've been since then, she mentioned that, you know, well, she began by even apologizing and saying, you know, that she acknowledges that what happened then that was wrong and that we were not treated well. You know, and I thought, you know, I wish you had said something then. I wish if you knew, if all, if many of the board members at that table were sitting and felt like her, clearly, you know, the way this board functions, they all knew that it was it wasn't it wasn't um, appropriate. There were a lot of things that were happening that were wrong, and yes, we were we were not treated well during the the time that we served on that board. And if many of them could acknowledge that, what does that tell you, you know, about this board when we were serving on it? Yeah, and, and the, yeah, and the, there was no desire. To resolve this conflict. And I think for me, what always stands out is that I sit at that board table um, and I reflect and I think many of these individuals are leading organization. They deal with conflict all the time, right? They would know exactly what to do in a situation like this. But at that time for us, nothing, nothing happened. And that for me also was very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, these are, you know, for me, kind of painful uh, memories. Uh, for, for our listeners' sake, you ought to know, I'm a compartmentalizer. So when I experience and see racism, my first intuition is to really lock it up in a box and put it away so I can get on with my life, right? Uh, uh, but at times, I think even if you are like me, a compartmentalizer, uh, you must revisit those painful experiences as they are also learning experiences. They are refreshers and reminders of the challenges we face as, uh, as Black people and some of the solutions that we need to develop. So before we move into a conversation around what might all of what we have shared in our current discussion mean for Black people who are considering joining boards where they are likely to not be the majority, racially speaking, where, you know, you may be representing one or two Black people around a board table, 
but you're on a majority white board. What might this mean? How, how do you navigate this space? But also I know that we have uh, listeners who are sincerely trying to tackle the issue of how to diversify their boards. And, and so this is somewhat of a useful conversation for you too, to think about how you might avoid the pitfalls the pitfalls that the three of us have shared with you in this conversation, which I know and believe are not entirely unique to the Black experience. Thank you for joining us in episode six of the Giving Black podcast. I'm going to ask our listeners to stay tuned because this is a two-part conversation. The first part, we lay out the story. In our second conversation, we're going to equip you with some tools, some guidance as to how to deal with situations when you are volunteering your time and your talent, but not being appreciated for it. I'm your host, Olimide Kerewasi. Be well, everybody. Be well, everybody.